welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS, but what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we explored the Ayurvedic art of oil pulling and what's called the Picotti method to support detox and healing. This week, we're going to look at a topic that is quite appropriate given the seasonal weather in the Northern Hemisphere right now, wintering, as well as SAD or seasonal affective disorder. But wintering, nor SAD, are not just what you think. They do not always happen this time of year when it's cold outside nor is it something that just the natural world experiences. We too, in fact, winter. For our gratitude portion for this episode, I go outside into the garden as I often do. And in fact, today I write this episode from my patio, even though it's quite chilly. I'm intentionally out here all day today in the calm before an anticipated week long storm absorbing vitamin D, and soaking in all the green and cool fresh air. All around me are birds, seven in one tree alone, collecting seeds and enjoying this last bit of relatively nice weather before hunkering down. Time on this planet and my awareness of my own patterns over that time has taught me that I need the outdoors. And in the winter, when I'm stuck inside too long on these short, dark days, it can negatively impact my mood. Resources say that about 20% of the general population experiences SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, which is a type of depression that's related to changes in the seasons. Contrary to popular belief, not all people experience SAD the same time of year. While most people's SAD symptoms begin in the fall and last throughout the winter months, SAD patterns can actually occur during other times of the year as well. To be impacted by SAD simply means that we experience a pattern that begins and ends around the same time each year. Fall and winter SAD symptoms typically resolve themselves during the spring. Less common SAD causes depression in the spring or summer, resolving in the fall or winter. So paying attention to our unique patterns of how both our physical and mental symptoms fluctuate throughout the year is important. For once we better understand our own unique ebbs and flows, we can actually do something about it to alleviate our symptoms and even prevent them to a surprising degree. Like MS, SAD impacts women more than men and also occurs more frequently in younger adults than older ones. SAD tends to have a genetic nature, so it's more likely to have clusters of folks within family lines who experience SAD or other forms of depression. 
Another risk factor for SAD is if we already have struggles with depression or live with bipolar disorder. Since about 80% of people living with MS struggle with short-term or ongoing depression, it's no wonder many of us experience SAD. About half of us living with MS, 47% in one study, for example, also struggle with a diagnosed mood disorder. And statistics show that more mood disorders go undiagnosed than those that are actually diagnosed. Over time, this is thankfully changing as negative stigmas around mental health are slowly dismantled. There are a few more risk factors for SAD that have some overlap with what we know about MS. First, SAD, like MS, is more common amongst populations living further north or south of the equator. And second, low levels of vitamin D can also increase the risk of SAD. So why is SAD so common this time of year? The first reason is that our biological clock, our circadian rhythm, is often disrupted by the decrease of sunlight. Reduced sunlight is also related to drops in serotonin, which as we know is an important neurotransmitter that affects our mood. As reduced sunlight impacts the body, we also might experience a disruption in our body's level of melatonin, which is an important regulator of our sleep patterns and mood. So, what does sad feel like? We might lose interest in things that normally bring us joy. We might have lower than normal energy, feel listless, sad, or down for most of the day, and for many days in a row, without really understanding what triggered these feelings, because there was no related life event to connect to the change of mood. We might feel really tired and feel a need to overly sleep. We might struggle with concentration or experience unusual to us food cravings, especially carbohydrates. And we might feel the need to significantly increase the overall volume of food we typically eat. We might also experience an increase in anxiety or irritability. SAD is not typically considered a serious condition, but it can be if we don't do anything about it. We might, for instance, experience a desire to withdraw from our social support networks, struggle with work, school, or familial responsibilities. We might also struggle with substance abuse, experience an increase in mental health disorders and eating disorders. If severe and left untreated, SAD can also lead to suicidal thoughts or behaviors. Before we freak out about the seriousness of SAD if left untreated, the good news is that there are tools that really help. One such effective treatment is phototherapy, otherwise known as light therapy. A few years ago, when I started noticing this pattern in myself, I invested in a desktop UV-free LED therapy lamp. I often use this lamp for extra lighting in my office, especially when I need to be well-lit for virtual events, so it serves dual purpose. This year, though, for some reason, I forgot to utilize the lamp at the first sign of SAD. But after about a week or so of feeling low, I started using it and I've actually felt fine since. So, for folks who experience mild sad symptoms like I do, these lights can be extremely helpful. I've made note in my MS symptom journal to utilize the light earlier next year, and I'm hopeful that will prevent the sad symptoms that I experienced earlier this fall. 
For more serious, sad sufferers, there are also some medications and supplements that can help. Experts say it's important to see our doctor if we are experiencing ongoing struggles with sleep, substance abuse, or entertaining suicidal thoughts. So today, I'm grateful for patterns and our ability to track them. By understanding my unique seasonal patterns, for instance, I can make better use of my time by preemptively utilizing strategies that work for me. So I'm curious, ask yourself, what patterns have you noticed in your mental and physical health over the years? It might help to also calendar out your major MS exacerbations and not only explore the when, but also the what that was happening in your life at the time. These patterns often illuminate a pathway to relief and sometimes even prevention. I'll also quickly share here that I often participate in Dr. Susan's TrueMedicineMS.com 12-week Foundations of MS Health virtual program, which I highly recommend. And at the start and finish of that program, we use the MSMSQ, which is an assessment tool that tracks a wide variety of MS symptoms, both physical and emotional, that we're currently experiencing. Since I started utilizing this assessment in 2016 and have now taken it many times over the years, I have access to a helpful graph that illustrates the natural ebb and flow of my symptoms over time. This time of year, I tend to experience a few more physical symptoms, especially spasticity. But because I now understand that natural pattern, I don't worry so much when my numbers rise a bit this time of year, especially when my overall number is now quite low compared to what it was when I first started learning about the foundations of MS Health from Dr. Susan. So today, as I pack up my laptop to head inside as the last bit of sunlight sneaks behind the foreboding clouds, I am grateful for patterns and the important life lessons they teach us, if only we listen. Okay, let's dive into wintering. As longtime listeners know, I always start each year with a new intention, focused on what I feel is the biggest opportunity of self-growth. If you're interested in developing your own yearly intention for the new year, check out episodes 24 and 48, which will lead you through the process and share more. This year, I experienced some major disruptions in my life, the hardest being the sudden loss of my dear mother-in-law, which then required about six months of focused efforts to close her estate. As fall arrived and I was concurrently working to complete my 2022 intention goals and starting to brainstorm my new intention for 2023, I realized I was in a place of relative overwhelm. I wasn't ready to pick up something entirely new for 2023 because I still had so much left unfinished of my yearly plan for 2022. At first, to alleviate this, I upped my game. I started pushing myself harder to finish the books I had purchased and the tasks and personal development I had earmarked for completion this year. I was quite the taskmaster. And then, on a whim, almost like it called out to me, I picked up a book I hadn't read in a while and everything started to shift. Today, I'll share some of the timely learnings from a beautiful book by Catherine May called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. The author starts the book with a powerful sentence, quote, 
Some Winters Happen in the Sun. And this book has definitely changed how I think about and define winter and my comfort and how I choose to operate in the midst of it. First, before I dive into the content, I'll mention that this book is beautifully written. If you enjoy prose and highly descriptive language that takes you on a slow, gentle ride of discovery and appreciation for the world around us, you'll love this book. As one reviewer writes, it's, quote, the book equivalent of a perfectly timed hug you didn't know you needed, a blanket on a cold day. Another writes about how this book helped her to better navigate the times in her life that, quote, are neither soft nor easy. And that while times of wintering cannot be avoided, they also don't need to be feared. So let's dive into the main takeaways from wintering. And as we do, be thinking about how these facets of wintering might relate to your life and your desired future. Wintering is universal. And beyond winter being a season of cold, the author describes it also as a fallow season. Fallow has two main meanings. The first, according to the Oxford Dictionary, pertains to farmland that is intentionally left unsown for a period in order to return its fertility and vitality. The second is a period of time characterized by inaction or lack of productivity. In life, we may encounter a period of wintering when experiencing loss or a major life transition. Sometimes winter crashes in suddenly without warning, such as when we experience a sudden loss of a loved one or an MS diagnosis. Sometimes winter comes slowly with the painful demise of a relationship or a lack of confidence or ability as we age. Whatever its pace It's usually involuntary and results in us feeling alone and in pain. It is said that as humans, we naturally tend to focus on the negative. Initially, this approach was protective in nature and helped us remain safe in a world full of dangers. Now, this inclination towards negativity can lead us to wintering and forgetting that there is anything different ahead of us. Yet, just like the seasons, Winter, too, shall pass. When we recognize we are in a time of wintering, accepting it for what it is, and harnessing the power of winter through purposeful, restful rejuvenation, we can prepare to bloom again in spring. For wintering, without fail, gives us the opportunity to make ourselves anew. As a society, we don't talk about what it's like to winter. We rather tend to put on a happy face, put our best foot forward, do much of our grieving in private, and try to make the best of what's at hand. How dare we air our dirty laundry or unpleasantries in public? Rather, we push and push and push until our stress levels soar and we snap into exhaustion and distress. But what if we were able to embrace the winter and let ourselves hunker down regardless the actual weather outside? Regardless the perceived expectations, if we were to be gentle with ourselves and focus on listening to the powerful messages that winter speaks. For wintering offers insights and wisdom that can truly change our lives. 
One of my favorite quotes that I wear daily on a bracelet is, quote, the only way around is through. And this year, more than ever, I'm leaning into my season of winter, listening, journaling, processing, intentionally slowing down, and just being more in the moment. When we invite the power of winter in, she speaks. A favorite excerpt that speaks to this point, quote, Plants and animals don't fight the winter. They don't pretend it's not happening and attempt to carry on living the same lives that they lived in the summer. They prepare. They adapt. They perform extraordinary acts of metamorphosis just to get them through. Just looking around us at the animals that live in our environments proves this point. This is the beauty of my daily sit spot outside. I get to really tune into the subtle changes and those not so subtle happening around me that I would otherwise miss if I were indoors all day. Just sitting in the same spot for 20 minutes each day around the same time connects us to our planet and its natural cycles in ways words struggle to explain. Winter is a time of withdrawing from the world, maximizing scant resources, carrying out acts of brutal efficiency, and vanishing from sight. But that's also where the transformation occurs. May writes, quote, winter is not the death of the life cycle, but it's crucible. Once we embrace winter for what it is, rather than trying to change it, we invite its magic into our lives. The magic of rest, reflection, recovery, recharging, replenishment, and the opportunity to put our house in order. For me, this is quite literal. I'm leaning heavily into clearing right now since we inherited a lot of stuff last year. And if you're unaware, clutter impacts our mental health and contributes to a feeling of overwhelm. I've also finally come to a place where I'm ready to let go of the rest of my teaching materials to give them new life with another educator so they can serve their intended purpose. And the deep cleaning I've also deprioritized this year, that was at the point of seeming like an overwhelming task, is now very slowly getting completed one corner of one room at a time. Because, like Catherine May writes, quote, there's not a single soothing place left in the house where you can rest a while without being reminded that something needs to be mended or cleaned. So, in a time of wintering, I can embrace the invitation to find my way, to transform and let go of the chaos and simplify, while simultaneously honoring my need for sustainable solitude. Like a reptile that sheds its skin, we can too. So. What are those aspects of our lives that we'd like to shed? The answer is different for each of us. What's universal is that wintering is the perfect time to do just that. The author also writes about illness and how this can be both a blessing and a curse. She writes, quote, Here I am, having worked so hard and for so long that I've made myself sick. And worst of all, I've nearly forgotten how to rest. Hmm, can you relate? I certainly can. Illness can be a blessing and that it forces us to slow down, to rest, to try to find innovative ways to accomplish things in new ways, often when we need it most. With hindsight being 2020, 
I can now see this was true in my life when diagnosed with MS and with each major exacerbation I've experienced. MS forced me to slow down and learn to live differently. While hard, I now see the gift of that challenge. The author goes on, however, to say that we can also allow our illness, and especially those of us who live with chronic illness over time, to cloud our judgment, to be a crutch, and to limit ourselves. Being aware of how we think of our illness is important, and it behooves us to reflect on all the ways we might be both missing out by refusing to embrace the reality of our illness and missing out because we're allowing our illness to be a barrier to living a life we love. As with everything, there's a healthy balance waiting for each of us to discover. Wintering encouraged me to take a good hard look at how I was resting. Often, I'd sit down to rest and pick up my phone to read the news, articles of interest, or play games or peruse social media. What I realized is that I, like many of us, have forgotten how to truly rest. Rest doesn't just mean physically, not moving. Mental rest is also a required component. Catherine May refers to obsessive thoughts as mental influenza. And in fact, more and more research shows the long-term harm of allowing our minds to work overtime and ruminate in endless cycles of worry or even productive strategy. We can find mental rest through meditation and spending time in nature. The author decides to truly lean into and embrace wintering by taking a trip to Iceland. About her journey, she writes, quote, in the cold, I find I can think straight. The air feels clean and uncluttered. I have faith in the practicality of the North, its ability to prepare and endure the peaks and troughs of its seasons. The warm weather destinations of the South seem unreal to me, its calendar too unchanging. I love the revolutions that winter brings. If you haven't explored Wim Hof and cold therapy for MS, it can be a really powerful healing tool for us. Immersion in cold water increases dopamine by 250%. Regular immersion decreases tension, fatigue, and mood. Polar plungers report the invigorating burst of energy and the overwhelming hope they experience when they emerge from cold waters. By feeling resilient in the cold, we actually build our resiliency. What a beautiful reminder to us all. While I haven't delved too deeply yet into cold water submersion tactics, even the 15-second cold blasts at the end of my warm showers evokes in me similar sentiments as the author expressed. She also says, quote, approaching a personal winter, I'm certain that the cold has healing powers that I don't yet come close to understanding. After all, you apply ice to a joint after an awkward fall. Why not do the same to a life? Perhaps I need to feel the true cold before I can warm up again. What are some ways that leaning into the cold of winter might have a positive impact on your life? It's worth a gander. While in Iceland, the author shares her therapeutic experience of how going from the bitter cold into the warmth of a sauna can not only warm the body, but also ease the mind and provide clarity of thought. 
Some of us with MS, especially those of us with heat sensitivity, may experience unpleasant sensations if we use a sauna or if we immerse our bodies in therapies that involve rapid temperature changes. This is worth personal experimentation. For me, I've found it to be less troublesome than I thought. And in fact, those cold bursts in the shower, especially in the warm summer months, give my body what it needs to then survive the 20-minute blow-drying my hair requires. Prior to engaging in cold blasts, I became overheated and fatigued while blow-drying. So experimenting to find our own sacred balance of heat and cold therapies can yield helpful practices that make each day more enjoyable. And for those of you who follow the spoon theory, this practice also seems to result in more spoons for me to use throughout the day. If you're thinking, nope, this isn't for me, I encourage you to heed Catherine's words because she too was reluctant at first. She writes, quote, I decided that I needed to learn from this. I need not fear the heat. I must instead surrender to it. By lowering her resistance to being hot or cold, she was actually able to start enjoying it and was able to see it as being not a bad thing. She writes how embracing sauna specifically and the elemental force of heat helped her find a way to, quote, ride over the bumps of human life. This reminds me of a favorite book that changed my life and my propensity to experience excruciating back pain several times a year, The Way Out, a revolutionary, scientifically proven approach to healing chronic pain by Alan Gordon. In that book, we're taught how to similarly lean into the pain and change our relationship with it. If you're struggling with physical pain, I cannot recommend this book enough. While writing about Halloween, the author addresses grief, since loss of a loved one often triggers the need for a time of wintering. She writes, quote, That's what grief is, a yearning for that one last moment of contact that would settle everything. I've been thinking about this quite deeply this week, as my longtime friend, who I met in kindergarten, unexpectedly lost her father, with whom she was estranged. Even with the need for intentional distance in this particular relationship, there's intense emotional pain. I suspect because as humans, we often hold on to hope, sometimes unconsciously, even if we think we've fully let go, and there are very valid reasons for it. With his passing, even though she hadn't ever expected or dared to hope for reconciliation, there is a finality that is difficult. As this loss comes on the heels of my own unexpected loss of my cherished mother-in-law, it has me feeling a heightened need to reach out to loved ones, to ask those questions, say those words, or as another friend shared with me recently, to give them their flowers while they're still here. The past few days, as a result, I've sent texts with little notes of appreciation, attached photos of fond memories together. And while I have not received any response from my most challenging relationship, I share this because these expressions of love and gratitude, while I hope they are lovely to receive, aren't wholly for the receiver. They are partially, in fact, for me. So when that day of finality does come, I'm not cringing with shame that I left important messages unsaid. That piece is for future me 
an investment in my future mental health, just like I plant bulbs each fall as an investment in future happiness. Who are those in your life that, if gone tomorrow, you might regret not saying those words? Consider lessening the impact of that future grief by letting those words out now, while there's still a living being on the receiving end. Wintering provides a seasonal walk through life from September to March and depicts winter as a time for transformation and wisdom, while summer yields vitality. These two energies are Mother Nature's beautiful balancing act that cycle again and again each year. And like the calendar year, we too experience seasons. May writes, life meanders like a path through the woods. We have seasons when we flourish and seasons when the leaves fall from us, revealing our bare bones. Given time, they grow again. Those of us with relapsing remitting MS can really understand this cycle. In wintering, we also learn about abscission, the dropping of leaves by deciduous trees. This is a natural part of the renewal process for trees. As the days grow shorter and the temperature falls, deciduous trees stop making food, chlorophyll breaks down, leaves begin to change colors, and eventually fall. Abscission is caused by the weakening of the layer of cells between the leaf stem and the branch. Within a few hours of the leaves falling, the tree releases substances that seal the scar left by the fallen leaf to protect itself from the elements and potential infection. And yet, even as the leaves are falling, the tree is also already preparing its buds for the following year. This book encouraged me to look closely at our trees this year when doing our light end-of-season pruning. Lo and behold, I can already see those black buds preparing to bloom into an outfit of new leaves. Trees are really incredible when we allow ourselves to delve into their mysterious processes and observe them more closely. There's certainly much to learn from them about the life cycle and riding out the ups and downs of life. As the birds... The band, not the avians, have sung so beautifully, for everything there is a season. As we ride the roller coaster of life with the additional highs and lows of living with MS, may we remember that without the lows, we may not as thoroughly enjoy the highs, nor might we have in us the ability to truly appreciate them if we have not spent time rejuvenating and preparing to bloom again through wintering. Catherine May also speaks about what it's like to be in the hospital, and she, like us, is on her own health journey. She writes, Hospital rooms shepherd us into another state of being, where we are compliant, passive, helpless, and willingly so. We fall easily into a hierarchy that we would resist in any other situation. We will undergo whatever transformations the institution requires of us. We will not make a fuss. We will be good. We will do as we're told. I've certainly experienced this during my time with MS. Have you? The author's struggles stem from an issue common for us as well. As she writes, quote, I have the gut of a particularly self-neglectful 70-year-old. She learns that this condition will not just go away. It will flare and recur over time and demand that she carefully manage the condition living with restrictions. Many of us can relate if we want to do what's necessary to restore our gut health. 
What's particularly beautiful about the author's sharing of her story is when she shares that she too, like a deciduous tree, has had to shed some leaves. She writes, I too have shed some leaves, those last shreds of belief in my youthful robustness, when I could do anything, endure anything, and bounce back. Winter is asking me to be more careful with my energies and to rest a while until spring. When we realize that certain historical beliefs, habits, or ways of being no longer serve us well given our current levels of health, unlike deciduous trees, we have a choice. We can let the old leaves go and find a new way of being that will allow us to bloom again. Or we can resist, change nothing, and let our tree remain barren. It is that promise of blooming again that keeps me going when change is hard or I'm struggling to routinize myself with daily health-supporting habits. By being honest with myself that there are no benefits to not changing, I can often find the strength within that I need to find my way to a place of rebirth. Are there habits that you're ready to let go of that you'd like to leave here in 2022 rather than taking them forward with you? Now is the time to decide to bloom again in the spring. In the winter, it's important for us to use our hands. Did you know that repetitive hand motions like those we make while knitting can lower our blood pressure just as much as yoga? Through the release of serotonin, the repetitive motion can even help relieve chronic pain, relieve stress, help us to maintain mental sharpness, help support us in our efforts to quit bad habits, and help us feel less lonely. When we create, it gives our energy somewhere useful to go. I'm inspired to play my guitar more, to return to knitting scarves, and to pick up the paintbrush once again. What might you choose to do with your hands while wintering? The author also writes about sleep and how those needs fluctuate with the seasons. I'm not unlike Catherine May, who finds herself averaging six to seven hours of sleep in the summer and closer to nine hours of sleep in the winter. In the summer, I can easily wake up with the sun. Not so much in winter. Getting out of bed in the summer is easier. In the winter, I'm often tempted to get right back under the warm covers when I first try to get up. Because of this book, wintering right now for me means I'm now accepting winter's invitation to rest more, stay in bed a little longer without feeling bad about it, enjoying the peace and quiet of a slow morning and long snuggles with my pup. I'm living in wool leggings and other comfort clothes, moving slower and living by candlelight. There's a beauty in sometimes not knowing what day it is. I'm not being lazy, just shifting my attention for a bit. This happy hibernation of sorts I can feel is changing me, slowly recharging my battery so it's ready for the new year. Speaking of candlelight, I recently learned about an annual event that occurs in churches of many faiths around the world on winter solstice, December 21st, which is the longest night of the year. This is a special ceremony to support those who may be experiencing grief while the seemingly rest of the world is in a state of celebration and joy. This ceremony typically involves the burning of candles and prayer. In Wintering, May writes about how we can think of ourselves as candles, too, and that we each have the ability to bring light into the world and brighten each other's lives. What a lovely sentiment. 
I'm thinking a lot about how I can shine my light more brightly to those who are likewise in the darkness of winter. How might you be able to do the same? Are there people in your life right now who would benefit from your light? There are so many more important lessons in this book, and I'll mention just a few more, but leave plenty for you to explore on your own should you choose to read it. I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about the Druids and how they follow the eightfold wheel of the year, which largely translates to periods of time about six weeks in length. This creates a pattern throughout the year, and one that might be helpful for those of us with chronic illness to utilize. For example, when trying to implement a new habit, it can be difficult if we are of the mindset that this new habit is something that we will have to do for the rest of our lives. When children are learning to read and come across a multisyllabic word, they are often taught to chunk it, and in doing so can find their way through the word and to a place of mastery. So next year, I'm planning to use this six-week time frame to help me implement my new health goals. Focusing on doing something new for six weeks seems a lot less daunting than thinking about doing it forever. This means I'm mapping out potential avenues to better health, staggering them throughout the year, rather than trying to tackle them all at once. And the great news here is that when I achieve these goals for six weeks, that's actually enough to build automaticity to fully incorporate them into my daily routine. What are some avenues to better health that you are thinking about implementing in the new year? Might you consider chunking them to align with the Druid calendar? If you do, I'd love to hear from you about how it goes, as I will be on a parallel journey. There's yet another reason I want to try this method of leaning in to the Druid way of life. In Wintering, the author makes a great point of how we've largely transitioned into a society that lives by artificial light, rather than the sunlight, and by controlled temperatures with elaborate thermostats, rather than experiencing the natural course of seasonal fluctuations. Since I am so connected with nature, I'm making a concerted effort to become more aligned with it this coming year, to spend more time living in harmony with Mother Nature and following her cadence, since it's much more in tune with my own inner drumbeat than the synthetic rhythms of modern capitalism. I'm really excited about this because when I spend more time in nature, I feel better. And beyond my personal anecdotal experience, there's significant data that supports this as well. Did you know? Spending more time in outdoors, in nature, and in natural light improves our mood, reduces feelings of stress and anger, improves our physical condition, encourages us to be more active, connects us to our natural world, improves our self-confidence and self-esteem, helps us feel more relaxed, improves our ability to concentrate, increases our vitamin D levels, lowers our risk of heart disease by lowering our blood pressure, kills off bacteria and regulates our immune system, and supports our vision through natural light exposure. It also strengthens bones, increases serotonin, reduces inflammation, improves our sleep, and accelerates our recovery from illness. It's easy to forget sometimes that modern Western medicine, and with its pharmaceuticals and modern life with electricity and 5G, has only somewhat recently essentially replaced historical earth-sourced and plant-based medicine, and working from sunup to sundown. Wintering reminds us of this powerful medicine that is free to access 
and what we can gain by getting back in sync with the universe and rituals of dawn, sunset, and the druid seasons. In literature, you might be familiar with the hero's journey. Story arcs follow a pattern, and at the character's lowest point, there's a moment when things seem so bad that they can't imagine a way out. In wintering, we learn that the fight back begins here. That's where we begin to seek our solution. The only difference between our lives and a novel is that at some point the novel ends. In life, we experience the ups and downs of one novel after another until the final curtain draws. But even then, in epilogue form, our story can continue to have an impact through our legacy. Depending on where you're at in your story arc, is there a way to accept it while also courageously picking up the pen and writing our desired future into existence? I'm thinking a lot about this right now, as we recently finished our 10-month Writing to Heal pilot using neuroplasticity prompts, and I'm now working on a full rewrite of my own story of health. The last piece of learning I'll share is the importance of congregating together with others on the journey. When we gather, we share a diversity of perspectives and insights. Words cannot express the gratitude I feel for all of my connections with others living with MS. Y'all make me feel stronger, and when I am seeking a solution or support, without a doubt, I find it in community. We have all wintered. Wintering together is, as Catherine May writes, social glue. For once a particular winter is over for us, we can pass along to others what we've learned and support others who are going through their own wintering process now. We cannot control what the future brings, but by embracing winter and the gifts it holds, we can better learn to support others through their winters, knowing that ours will come again too. We are in this together, and when we sing together, our song can change ourselves and the world. May writes, quote, Some winters are gradual. Some winters creep up on us so slowly that they've infiltrated every part of our lives before we truly feel them. Life is unpredictable and uncontrollable. This book helped me find the peace in that knowing. Through radical acceptance and an understanding that I cannot control the wind or the seas, but I can learn how to sail, has given me the strength I need to winter through my current time of wintering. For truly, the only way around is through. By learning to welcome winter to the table, I can harness the power that times of wintering holds. If I run away from fear, I remain scared. If I focus on my pain, it's painful. And if I allow myself to think dark thoughts, I will stay in a dark place. But if I lean into the emotions and learn the lessons they seek to teach, I can grow into more of an evolved version of myself. For change does not stop happening. In fact, change is the only constant in life. The world around us is constantly changing. Plants and animals adapt, and so must we. In an ever-changing world, all we can truly control is our response. My wish for you today is, whenever you experience your next time of wintering, whether it be now or several months or years from now, I hope you'll remember Wintering by Catherine May and utilize it as a guidebook to comfort and guide you through the beautiful transformation that winter can be. 
Soon, in the Northern Hemisphere, at the beginning of February, according to Druid lore, we will emerge from the season of winter. Some of the bulbs I've planted are already starting to send up green shoots to reassure us of this glorious eventuality. We, like daffodils, can winter. We can learn some things. And we can bloom again. I hope that by listening to this episode, we all, one, understand that wintering can happen any time of year, and it's important to tune into ourselves to notice when it's time for us to winter. Two, that we remember that Catherine May's wintering can be like a warm-weighted blanket companion for us when we are in a time of winter. And three, that there is power in tracking and investigating our own seasonal patterns to better understand our unique nuances of self and find solution for our struggles. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, January 7th. At this flock meeting, we'll discuss the episodes released this month and spend time together celebrating recent wins and supporting one another with current hardships and our ongoing health goals. If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, please join us. We are all people living with MS that meet via Zoom monthly to support each other and continue our learning on the episode topics. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com slash msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with MS-related questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another, and honking our encouragement. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, Happy New Year and be well.